This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. I'm Wong Xiaoning and this is The Breakfast Grill. The satellite services business is worth as much as US $113 billion and is expected to grow annually by 10% with the future of communication due for a significant reshape. Now, despite the higher cost of entry, the field has become increasingly competitive as the introduction of private space ventures are disrupting this sector. Today, we speak to Miasat Satellite Systems, which has to date launched eight satellites for direct home broadcasting and telecommunication services for the region. They are COO Yao Chong Lim joins us. Thank you for coming on the Breakfast Grill again. Now, I think for many of us, some context is needed. So, satellites support a broad range of services, like we said earlier. But for Miasat, which was formerly known as Binaryang, it was given the charter to develop our country's first satellite communication system way back in 1992. So, 32 years later, how has that company changed? Yes, you know, it has been a long way. You know, Binarian Satellite System back then is named as, you know, it's uh, established in 1992 and we launched our first satellite in January 1996. And in the same year itself, we launched uh, Miasat 2 in November 1996. At that time, you know, our mission is very clear. We want to basically, you know, bring the, the latest infotainment to the country and we introduced the first digital TV in the country. Mm. Since then itself, you know, we have evolved ourselves rather than just focusing in Malaysia and the Southeast Asia region. We launched our Miasat 3, Miasat 3A and provide the coverage to more than 100 countries in all the ways, you know, from the Africa, Eastern Europe to the up north Korea, Japan and down south to Australia. Okay, and now currently Miasat has three active satellites, right? With the yeah. latest launch in June 2022, Miasat 3D, which enables 100% internet coverage over Malaysia. But it did cost, what, $1.2 billion? Yeah. And so what is the internal rate of return? Because it's just got a lifespan of 18 years. I mean, this has to make financial sense, right? Yeah, you know, building a satellite is, is definitely is a quite a challenging you know, task. So the project itself started in 2018. So it took us about a year to design and firm up the specification, uh, issue an RFP, select the vendor and things like that. And mm. thereafter, it took us about like, up to three years to build a satellite. And unfortunately, at the time itself, we're also, you know, facing the pandemic. So there's a whole lot of challenges that we're facing. So Miasat 3D is a replacement satellite for our uh, Miasat 3 and Miasat 3A and as well as Miasat 5. So the good part of it is that, you know, from the day we launch it, we already have an existing customer base that we can move it over from those, you know, old satellite to Miasat 3D. So we are quite positive for Miasat 3D. And you didn't give me the internal rate of return. I mean, do I look at margins to so get a gauge of the rate of return? In terms of the, the return itself, I would say that, you know, it's probably like close to the high single digit or double digit. It's kind of like, depends on how soon you fill up the satellite. So utilization rate is very important. Very important, yeah. And typically, you... for a, any typical satellite, it takes about like five to seven years to just to break even. And if you can't fill up a satellite by that time frame, then, you know, it might be very loss likely making. that loss making, yeah. So, give us a little flavour. What's the capacity utilisation like for the satellite? So, as of today itself, the satellite, I would say that, you know, we have a different payload on the satellite. So, the conventional C and KU band, which we use to serve our telco and as well as the broadcaster. Mm. So, that itself is close 
do, I would say that probably at 90% utilization. And then we also have this high throughput uh, satellite portion that may need to serve the broadband requirement in Malaysia. The utilization as of today, after one and a half year in operation, we are at about like uh, 60% fill rate. Okay, so I'm going to venture a guess and I did look at the annual report of Astro. Uh, and then I did notice there that there were related party transactions and uh, because of course you share a common shareholder. Mm. So are they back-to-back leases for transponders with two companies, Astro and Maxis? Is that how you've managed to ensure a certain level of, of utilisation? So... Astro is, is definitely is, uh, one of our key anchor customers. Mm. So they list out all the key U-band capacity on the Miyazaki Treaty. So with that itself, definitely it helped us to build out the business case and also help us in, the, in terms of the financing. Whereas for Maxis, they are probably is, is just one of our customers compared with Astro. Maxis is relatively you know, large, but that's just one of the many. Okay, because I, I did see lease obligations to Miasat for the to the tune of one point four seven billion ringgit. Uh, mm-hmm. Is that how much they're paying you? Is is there a duration for these lease obligations? Yeah. So as I mentioned, for the the lease for typically with mm. the direct to home uh, customer such as uh, Astro, typically they sign a uh, multiple transponder for multiple year. In this case, it's uh, Astro sign up for the end of life to the satellite because for their business itself, it's very important that they need to have a stability and also to ensure that the capacity that they have can serve. Requirement. And I'm going to venture that Astro is probably Miasat's number one customer. But Astro results, which I'm sure you monitor mm-hmm. also, right, have been disappointing for the last few years. We did see lower top line with shrinking mm-hmm. margins. There's been a decline in subscriptions and ADEX as cable TV <coughs> suffers structural decline from disruptors. Does that concern you? I think if you look at, you know, not just in Malaysia, if you look at the regional and or probably internationally worldwide, the Pay TV business itself has been, you know, affected by, you know, mainly like the change of behavior of the, the viewer. Yeah. So if you look at the younger generation, it's not quite sure when was the last time they watched TV, <laughs> when was the last time they're in the living room. And they yeah, also, they're just, you know, buried in their own personal devices. Exactly. They have a very short, you know, you know uh, focus time frame. Right? So basically they will not build the linear channel mm. and they look at the short video clip. So in that sense, it's uh, a lot of those uh, pay TV operators. Yeah, but at the same time, even um, your cable TV, now everybody's going to broadband in mm-hmm. terms of how the you know the shows are being transmitted. Mm-hmm. Does that concern you then? Less, less need for your satellite services? Yes, I think it's in general itself. Again, you know, if you look at the whole, you know, the trending in the industry, so the number of transponder or the capacity mm. that the pay TV operator lease is has been reduced over time. And hence that, you know, when we design our new satellite, we took all those into consideration. We would not build, you know, something that, you know, uh, the market cannot consume it. Yeah. Okay, so you there is some consideration for like the eventual slowdown of this... Uh, yeah, so we have to take orders into consideration. Is that why Miasa started the Connect Me Now service, which is, you know, I, I found interesting, completely private funded to enable 3 to 5% of the Malaysian population that re- reside in areas that have little or no internet connectivity to actually be able to be online. That's, that's a very good point. So... As you may know that, you know, from satellite perspective, broadcasting is always bread and butter for the for the business. But about five years ago or six years ago, we start to do a strategy review because we see that the market trend has changed. Mm. So rather than just purely focusing on the broadcast business, so we took a look at this, you know, what next? So we identified that broadband is this the next, you know, uh, growth area. So that's where we started to venture into the from B2B business, you know, transform it to B2C business. 
And how's the traction been? Because in May, I gather there were 4,000 sites with connectivity to 400,000 users. Any change to that figure and the current charges of 10 ringgit per gigabyte? So in terms of the, the rollout, uh, you're right. You know, mm. So today we have roughly uh, about 4,000 uh, sites and the people that we serve is roughly about half a million population. So to put it into context, half a million rural population, that's probably equal to one third of the so-called the three to five percent unconnected population. So that is quite sizable. And in terms of the charges itself, you know, uh, after we launch our Miasa 3D, so we have, you know, able to achieve, you know, a more, you know, a effective way to provide the service. So typically, it's, uh, what we did is that, you know, we maintain the pricing, but we give more data to the user. So for this segment, is it profitable already? I mean, because I would imagine it doesn't have the same scale, let's say, like a single customer like Astro, yeah. right, for sure. So for broadband service or for data service, it, uh, definitely this is a growth area. Mm-hmm. And But in terms of the, you know, uh, contribution, the contribution it's, a, it's, a, it's a low, I would say low margin, but I just have to go with the, the volume game. Okay, and um, do you think this service then has a finite lifespan? Because the government is clearly very focused on connective, uh, improving connectivity. And the Jandela plan states mm-hmm. that clearly, right? And there's going to be improved 4G coverage over the whole country. So eventually, won't the number of customers you can tap on get smaller and smaller over time? Generally speaking, you know, the plan for the government is that, you know, using satellite as an interim solution. And over time, you know, hopefully with the rollout of fiber and tower, uh, it can provide, you know, the coverage to the rural, you know, population with the 4G type of services. But what we see is that, you know, uh, for example, Chandela 2 mm. started off in about two years ago. So the plan is that, you know, after two years, the government will ch- probably, you know, they're going to like sort of like uh, move over the service to the terrestrial. But what we see is today, you know, that's not quite happened. Reason being is that there are many factors affecting the rollout and especially those that, you know, at a very remote area. It, it just doesn't make any economic sense to roll off the fibre or whatnot. Have you seen state governments actually helping in terms of paying for the cost of your services Connect Me now? Because um, if you just expect some of these mm-hmm. rural population to, to cough up the money, albeit it's just, what, 10 ringgit per gig, it still can be quite considerable sums at the end of the day. It's, a, it's always as a pro and con that, you know, if you how, how you look at the things, right? So mm. obviously, you know, we welcome, you know, the government funded, you know, the whole project, you know, provide a free service to the uh, rural population. But the downside of that is that, you know, once you provide services in free, you know, it's very often intend to be that, you know, people will abuse the system whereby, you know, they just like hog onto it, watching all the YouTube or whatnot. So then no matter how much bandwidth you put into it, it will not be, never be enough. But so, some people will say that connectivity is a, is a human right, you know, it, it's in yeah. necessity and COVID-19 really highlighted that. So there's no question about that. So that's where, you know, when we first started our journey itself, it's all priority funded. Mm. So we identified the, the location that, you know, uh, with, you know, enough, you know, uh, population such that, you know, we can start to, you know, fund the, the, the equipment or one and start to provide the, the, the service. And this concept itself or this uh, model itself, uh, the government, you know, uh, certainly acknowledged that, you know, the, the successful of it and hence that, you know, they have this uh, government funded project, for example, the Chendela. Yeah. And I think it's just very important that, you know, 
the government continue to fund it, but not entirely. So at least, you know, for certain basic service, but any over and above, for example, why should the government fund for people that they just want to purely watch, let's say, YouTube and Netflix? So there are certain elements that, you know, is funded, but there are certain elements that if you need more, then, you know, it only makes sense that, you know, people pay for it. On the breakfast grill this morning is Yao Chong Lim, Chief Operating Officer of Mesa Satellite Systems. After the break, why is the company a reseller of SpaceX Starlink? And are there any plans to return to the capital markets BFM 89.9? You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. BFM 89.9, welcome back to The Breakfast Grill, where in the hot seat this morning is Yao Chong Lim, Chief Operating Officer of Miasat Satellite Systems. Before the break, what is the rate of return for a satellite in today's extremely competitive market? I want to talk about what is your biggest nightmare at Miasat. Is that uh, a repeat of Miasat 3, which died in space and just drifted out of orbit due to a truster failure before its expiry? How do you prevent something like this from happening? So as I mentioned earlier, you know, to build a satellite, typically it takes like at least like a three years to build a satellite. So a lot of time we spend on the testing. Mm. So we simulate the extreme cold, extreme hot environment of the outer space and go through a series of tra- testing to ensure that, you know, the system is robust enough. So if you look at our history of the operating of satellite close to the 30 years, and there's a three, unfortunately, is one of the incidents that, you know, we face. In general, satellite is tend to be very reliable. So... And of course, you know, when things happen, I think more importantly is that what BCP plan that we have in place. So we are quite proud to say that, you know, uh, when M3 incident happened, we, we were able to, you know, in a very short time frame to restore the service for all our major customers. Was there any financial loss to you? I read that the insurance claims are still ongoing. So in terms of the business itself, as I said, we managed to restore I would say probably more than 90% of uh, the, the customer services. So mm. in that sense, you know, we managed to, to keep the business. And in terms of the financial loss, I would say that, you know, it's not quite so. So insurance is, is a separate, you know, issue altogether. So that's ongoing. So because of the uniqueness of the situation, so definitely it takes time for the underwriter to understand it. Mm. And so your typical contracts with your customers, would there be a guarantee of service level? And if transponders mm. fail, the satellite drifts out of space, what conditions are there so in the... Typically, itself in this style of business, we are unable to provide so-called a guarantee service for very simple facts that you know our manufacturer they are not providing any guarantee to us because you can imagine that you know once you launch it, it's operating anything, anything, anything can happen. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's more than that. You know, if that unlikely event happened, so what is the plan that you have in place? Okay, then would another challenge be advancements in satellite internet technology? You've got the rollout of new low-Earth orbit constellations, which will overcome the limitations of traditional geostationary satellite systems. I mean, could it be one day where MiaSat 3 is redundant? So in, in the satellite world itself, there are different types of satellite. So the type of satellite that we are operating, we call geostationary satellite. And there are also the low-orbit satellite, as you mentioned, for example, say Starlink. Yeah, that's the most famous name. Yeah, I think each of these satellites, they have their pro and con. For example, geostationary satellite is the best you know, technology to provide a broadcasting service. But a lot more expensive, isn't it? Yes and no. So say, for example, that, you know, for broadcasting, you know, you just transmit using a single capacity, you can reach multiple users. Whereas for the low Earth orbit, it's more suitable for the broadband services, but it's not, you know, meant for the broadcasting service. So it depends on your application and hence that you look at, you know, which one is more suitable. So you think that, let's say 20 years from now, there will still be demand for your geostationary satellite systems? Yeah, I, I believe so, yeah. So it's still... It will the, never it's, it's be, be extinct or outdated, the technology? I think it's still be relevant. 
Yeah, but in any case, are there any plans for new satellite launches at Miasat, uh, Miasat 3E, F or G? So Miasat, we, we're taking a very pragmatic approach whereby if the business case, you know, makes sense, we will, you know, launch our own but satellite. But it takes a long time, right? From the beginning of the thought process to the actual, it is. you know, uh, actual satellite being ready three to three years. So I'm, yeah. if you want a satellite ready by 2027, you, you have to start now. So are there any plans at all? Yes, you know, we, we are looking at, for example, Miasat 3B which is going to be end of life 2032-33 timeframe. Mm. So we have already started that process. So we look at, you know, custom requirement and talking with a few key tenants and see, you know, what is the demand, what is the requirement such that we can incorporate into the design itself. Because McKinsey, in their report, they have a base case scenario for about 27,000 active satellites in orbit mm-hmm. by 2030. This is like a four, four-fold increase, which translates mm-hmm. to four to, th- four to 5,000 launches a year. Doesn't Miasat want to capitalise on this growing market or is that only really just for the low orbit satellites? So in terms of the... As I said, you know, we take a very pragmatic approach. Mm. So whether it makes sense, we will launch our own satellite or we work together with our peer to launch that so-called a condo set, i.e., you know, same satellite, you know, each of us have our own payload. Then area that we see that, you know, it makes sense to probably take the capacity from others, we will do so. Okay, so will you then also still consider low Earth orbit constellations? So for the low Earth orbit, the distinct difference between the Leo and the Geo is that for the Geo, you need one satellite, you can start to provide the service. Whereas for the Leo, you need a constellation. Yes. So in order to start to provide the service, for example, this... uh, Starlink. Today they have about like 5,000 satellites and their plan is to go to the 40,000. So that requires, you know, quite a huge commitment to, to get that done. So for us, I think we see that, you know, it's probably it's make more sense for us to leverage on what they already have in the market. And Starlink is just one of those. And there are a few other constellations that's in the pipeline. Mm. So we are, you know, open and we're talking to them and see that, you know, which will make sense that to do Miasat. Which is a perfect timing to ask you the question, what's the thinking behind Miasat? to become a reseller of SpaceX Starlink? So if you look at Starlink itself, technology-wise, they are, they are very good. You know, mm. they, they are, it's a very good product. However, you know, as a Starlink, their marketing approach is that you, know, you just go online and you just order your service itself. Yeah, you can even buy in Harvey Norman now. Exactly. So, but when you start to look at the type of services that we are providing to the rural area, so imagine that how... Starling to fulfill that requirement. So how does it complement Connect Me now? Isn't it technically a competitor? We see it as a complementary rather than a competitor. As I mentioned earlier, Starling, they have a very good product, but I think the challenge they have is that how to fulfill the customer requirement. So whereas for Miasa itself, we have already in the market for more than five years, we have mm. established the whole ecosystem from the delivery of service, customer support or whatnot. So with our presence in the local market and together with the product that Starlink has, I think it's a perfect mesh. So whereby, you know, we can provide a hybrid or, or So a when service. would you use Starlink and when would you use Connect Me now? Because I'm trying to see how the where the synergies are. So for as I mentioned earlier, for broadcasting we'll continue to use our, our geo, geo satellite. Geo satellite. Yeah. It's not even the Connect Me type yeah. of our services. Whereas when it comes to the data or the broadband services, then we will use both the Starlink and Miasat 3 okay. Starling services is that is the plain vanilla. Is they are not providing any SLA. So when you go to like the enterprise customer, one of the key concerns they have is the SLA. So that's where you know we service level agreement here, Correct. right? Yeah. So there's no service level agreement with Starling. Well, there's one effort. with Connect Me now. 
yeah, with Condom Inc. now, yes, you know, we do provide our service level agreement. Simple fact that, you know, we have a control on the from the from the whole ecosystem and we have our uh, support team on the ground to provide this, this service. So what's the take up been for the Starling as a reseller? So we just uh, signed that agreement end of last year mm. and as of today we have already rolled out a few hundred sites so it's uh, quite encouraging and at the same time as I mentioned to you that you know on our Miasa 3D there are certain that is already at near uh, capacity, i.e., you know, it's almost filled up, mm. especially over the East Malaysia. So with or without Starling, we in the process of looking at how we can complement or put in more capacity to certain market. So Starling just come in is a very handy, such that you know we can you know put together a solution to serve the market. How much of a contributor do you see this? I mean, because if I look at twenty twenty two revenue, mm-hmm. five hundred thirty three million. I don't think Starling is going to be a, a big contributor, right? So if you look at our business itself, uh, no doubt that the broadcasting area is, mm. is uh, the key contributor to our revenue. So I would say that probably like 60-40, that type of... Uh, okay, so let's spend some time on the financials. You know, I did some digging and found some accounts for Miasak Global, mm-hmm. but that was only for 2022 and oddly 2017, but nothing in between. <laughs> okay, so in any case, <coughs> revenue has been flat at 533 mm-hmm. million ringgit. Profit was about 97 million mm-hmm. ringgit. Will we see a jump as the revenue from Miasak 3D starts trickling in? And is there any margin expansion from the current 18% then? So Miasa being a, a private entity, of course, we are not publish our account, our well, financial. Um, but just for your know, effort, for 2023, mm. uh, it has been a good year for us. So we, in fact, exceeded our target. Part of it is because of the, the kick-ins of the Miasa 3D that provide more capacity, more services to our customer. And I would presume <laughs> financial engineering is very important when it comes to a satellite, right? The cost of funding, mm-hmm. uh, what's the current cost of capital? So can you give us a sense? Because you did recently refinance um, 3B mm-hmm. with a new 112 million senior debt, uh, US dollars. What's the take-up so far? Are bankers encouraging? Are they willing to give you a low rate? Or because, you know, we are in this high interest rate environment. And I wonder, 3D, was your timing perfect? Because it was maybe all the financing was done during the pandemic when we were near zero interest rates. So typically, itself for our new satellite, we go for the project financing, i.e. we set up a SPV and ring fence of the risk in, in the SPV itself. So for Miasat 3D, the funding itself we done, you're right, you know, just before the pandemic and also during the pandemic itself. In terms of the rate, we are going through the, the Exim Bank. So mm. in this case itself, it's, it's the European Exim. We got a relatively good rate to uh, fund the satellite. And subsequent to that, we refinanced our Miasat 3B. Yes, you're right, you know, at the timing itself, it's not, you know, ideal. But still, you know, in compared with what we have, I think in relative term, that still makes sense to the company. Okay, and it's been 14 years since Miasat was taken private. Any plans to return to capital markets? Well, not at this point in time. <laughs> but again, you know, as a company itself, we are looking at ways to grow the company. Mm. When talk about the growth, there are two parts of it. One is the organic growth, which probably it would take time. And the other part is inorganic. So we are looking at, you know, various options. And inorganic, do you mean M&A? Because there's been yeah. a raft of deals. France-based satellite operator, mm. Utel start merger with UK rival mm. OneWeb. And then we had California-based Viasat paying 7.3 billion US dollars for UK Imasat. So is this something you're considering? Being maybe buying somebody or actually, or even selling out? We are looking at various options. And obviously, mm. you know, we are 
probably not looking at that size of a deal. So uh, we are looking at what other opportunities in the market. It may not be exactly the same industry that we are in. Would you sell out though? Well, at the right price. <laughs> On that note, thank you for your time. Today in the Breakfast Grill was Yao Chong Lim, Chief Operating Officer of Miasat Satellite Systems. I'm Oshaning, BFM 89.9. The BFM Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.